Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Chapter 1, and as you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for your grace. It is in every word that we have just read. And it is in every part of the life of those who are trusting in you today. Will you speak to us by your Holy Spirit? Will you teach us? Will you mold us? Will you enable us to act like your children? And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Be seated. We continue in our uh, series, Joy to the World, using uh, really phrases from there, uh, that, that hymn, in terms of uh, helping us focus, but certainly all of our focus is upon the Word of God. And so today we uh, focus on joy to the world. The Lord is come. Now, I told you last week that uh, this hymn originally was uh, written to be about the, the second coming of Christ, and yet it is identified, uh, I think, always in our day as a, a Christmas hymn. And I, it is appropriate for that, and we will see uh, next week uh, in all likeliness, uh, um, we will see why it became identified with, with Christmas, but certainly in terms of the Lord's coming, uh, we celebrate not just his second coming, but his first coming. In, in theology, and especially in this time of year, uh, we talk about the incarnation. And just the, the way to remember that, uh, in incarnate, in 
the flesh. Uh, God took on flesh and lived here on earth for a time. Which, by the way, other religions just absolutely say that cannot be. That is impossible. Impossible? Well, yeah, from our perspective, but it's what took place. And it's because of that that we have salvation. So as, as we look at the, the thought, uh, the teaching, the idea of the incarnation, uh, we need to understand this. Uh, because during this, this time of year, especially, uh, we, we look at the, the manger scene. And if we're not careful, uh, one might think that the Christmas story began in the manger or just a little bit before that of uh, uh, Jesus' family coming to the manger for his birth. But if we, if we start there, we have missed the significance of him being born in the manger. We've missed why that is, uh, is, is so essential to our salvation if we start with a baby in the manger. So let's go back. Where does it begin? In the councils of eternity. Before. Before there was a heaven and an earth. It starts where Jesus came from. So let's take a look at this in 2 Corinthians uh, 8, verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. The first thing we need to understand before we even begin to talk about the uh, the, the incarnation, actually, when he took on flesh, uh, before we talk about his birth, we need to understand that before Jesus came, he was exactly where he deserved to be with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. What do we know about Jesus before he took on flesh, before the incarnation? Well, that's why we're starting with John chapter 1. And it says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John Piper says that what, what took John three years uh, of being with Jesus to discover, he wants us to discover in three verses. And that's really what we have here. So how do we know? How do we know this is talking about Jesus? Because down in that uh, same chapter, down in verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace 
and truth. That's how we know that the word is Jesus. Now, at first glance, this can be a little confusing. And by the way, we uh, up until Advent and uh, after the first of the year, we're going to be back in uh, uh, the book of 1 John. Uh, this actually um, speaks to that uh, as well uh, because it talks about the Word of God. When we talk about the Word of God, uh, generally we're thinking about the Bible, right? That's what, what we tend to, to think of. Here John takes the word logos, uh, which was used by philosophers and heretics and Jews uh, alike, and he, he rips that term from them and he teaches it rightly. So for the philosophers, uh, um, they had for centuries, uh, uh, ever since a, a man called Heraclitus, 500 years before Jesus' birth, came up with the view that the Logos was a controlling factor in the universe. So kind of put that on a side burner. So he's teaching that this thing called the Logos is a controlling factor uh, in the universe. That's what controls uh, the universe. And then it was developed over time where you have Plato, Socrates, the Stoics. Uh, It is said that that Plato, 300 years before Jesus, uh, once gathered his, his small a group of philosophers, and he said this to them. It may be that someday there will come forth from God a word, a logos, who will reveal all mysteries and make everything plain. John is saying, yes, Plato, that's what's happened. So now Jesus is, is called the Word, the Logos. Now, if you want to know someone, you either ask, ask them about themselves or they tell you uh, about themselves, but you just don't study about them. That's not the best way uh, to know them. So what we have here is God uh, sending uh, word of who he is and what he's like. And he did that, yes, in in the Bible, but in Jesus himself. He's the last word of what God is like. Sally Lloyd-Jones, uh, who we've had here and uh, who wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible, uh, when she tells about Jonah, this is what she says at, at the end there. She says, But this messenger would be God's own son. He would be called the word because he himself would be God's message. God's message translated into our own language. Everything God wanted to say to the whole world, but in person. So that's what what we see here uh, with, with Jesus being called the world. Uh, the word. Um, so the when and the what. Uh, when did he come into being? When was the, the word born? Well, that's answered in both verses. It says in verse 1 and 2, in the beginning. He was in the beginning with God. Uh, 
clear reference to uh, the first words of Genesis. In the beginning, God created. Jesus wasn't born. He was there. He always existed. It's not that that's when it started. It was when he began creating. That's what it's saying. Jesus, Jesus was already there when uh, the creation began, as we'll see, because he is the creator. He was not created. It says, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, one God in three persons. Uh, this is such an important verse in the Bible that cults actually uh, use this verse and they twist it, they pervert it, they change words in this verse because it so defines uh, the deity of, of Jesus. He is God. And by the way, if, if he's not, none of the rest of this book matters if he is not who he says he is. But if he is, then this book cannot be ignored except to one's own peril spiritually. So John goes on with uh, the implications. Uh, uh, who uh, is God? He is the creator, verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So this further attests to his deity. He is eternal. The one who creates all things cannot be created. That would be an impossibility. Uh, last week we used Colossians 1 in, in our uh, reading, our, our confession of faith. I want to remind you what, what is said there. It says this in Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he created, then he sustains it. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So there he's spoken of as, and remember, we're talking about Jesus deserving to be where he was on the throne in heaven. He's the creator, the sustainer, the head of the church, preeminent in everything and fully God. Now, some of you might be saying, well, you know, it's Christmas. What, why are we spending this time on on him being creator, we all, we all know he's the creator. Well, we're spending this time because I, I'm afraid we say that way too easily and take it way too lightly too often. Last week, one of my grandchildren, we walked outside, it was dark already, and uh, she, she looked up and said, look at all those stars. I wasn't looking at the stars. When she said that, I looked up and 
It was. It was pretty spectacular. But what a reminder that that's how we tend to be, even about, about uh, him being creator. Listen to this about all those stars. By conservative estimates, there are 10 billion trillion stars in the known universe. That's 10 followed by 15 zeros. By him, by Jesus, all things were made and hold together. We know how powerful our sun is. Well, on most days it is, but it's still, it's still there. But the energy of, uh, of our sun is nothing compared to a galaxy that was uh, recently discovered by astrophysicists. It's 300 million light years away, and it shines with two trillion times greater energy than that of our sun. What kind of SPF do you need to... (laughs) Every week somebody's getting something cut off here. Imagine... And yet, Jesus created them, and he sustains them. And I would say it's not beyond our imagination that we still haven't discovered all of the galaxies that he created. So back to the Gospel of John, it's emphasizing the deity of Christ, that he's the creator, but it's about to indicate that that creator has come. What's he going to do? Well, he's going to make a new creation and a new people. Over in Philippians that we read, Philippians uh, 2 Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So what that's saying is that everything that it is to be God, Jesus is. Inequality that one thinks of for God That's the quality, that's the attribute that Jesus has in his being. He is not the number two man. Now sometimes he took on the role of doing the father's bidding, but that wasn't because he was less powerful. He is, as our confession says, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. So there he is. So we have Jesus as king of heaven, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, needing nothing. So what does he do? Well, he chose to leave it behind. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Yet for your sake, he became He left that position for the sake of those that he loved. People who are his own, trusting in him 
alone for eternal life. Philippians uh, 2 verse 7 says, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when it says he emptied himself, uh, not of his deity, but he set aside his glory for a time when the incarnation took place. But until we start the story back there like we have with him as the creator and sustainer of the universe, the all-powerful one, we haven't grasped how awesome the truth of the incarnation really is. The creator becoming the form of his creation. The eternal one being conceived, being a fetus, being born. The infinite becoming finite. The omniscient all-knowing, all an omnipotent, all-powerful one taking on a form where he needed to be potty trained. He had to learn to walk, to add and subtract, to learn how to use the, the tools of a carpenter. God feeling the feelings of a human the king of the universe being born in a stable. C.S. Lewis said, God has landed on this enemy-occupied planet in human form. We're his enemies. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 speaks of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that grace was that Jesus had it all and he gave it up for us even when we didn't deserve it. The website Wall Street 24-7 posted their list of the least powerful people in the world. I was looking for my name, but I wasn't on there. <laughs> Uh, the list tracks what, what they call the top 50 well-known individuals around the world who have recently experienced a precipitous loss in stature. So according uh, to that article, these influential, they're political figures, powerful executives, successful athletes, and here's what they said, have each fallen a great distance from their peak some by their own doing, some as a result of circumstance. All 50 on the list became less powerful through some kind of moral collapse or unfortunate circumstances. But that's the beauty of the incarnation. God chose to become one of the least powerful in order to save us. He chose to. He didn't have to. He needed nothing from us. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Now, our verse starts with a presumption. The presumption is, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that grace? Do you get it? It's all about trusting in Christ alone for our eternal life. And when I say trusting in him alone is a key word. Not trusting in him plus what we have done. It's not trusting in him plus anything. It is trusting in him alone. Now let me summarize that in a phrase. And it speaks to the incarnation. The phrase is, from heaven to earth. The incarnation. In fact, the gospel is about from heaven to earth. And that's what distinguishes Christianity from all the other world religions. They are about uh, hoping to uh, figure out how to get from earth to heaven. But Christianity and the gospel is about the fact that Christ came to earth to make a way for us to go to heaven. And that's the difference right there. And that's why there is joy to this world. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was later imprisoned and executed at at Hitler's order, had earlier written about the incarnation and about Advent. And here's what he says. And I gave you this, this quote. Joy to the world. Anyone for whom this sound is foreign or who hears in it nothing but weak enthusiasm has not yet really heard the gospel. For the sake of humankind, Jesus Christ became a human being in a stable in Bethlehem. Rejoice, O Christendom! For sinners, Jesus Christ became a companion of tax collectors and prostitutes. Rejoice, O Christendom. For the condemned, Jesus Christ was condemned to the cross on Golgotha. Rejoice, O Christendom. For all of us, Jesus Christ was resurrected to life. Rejoice, O Christendom. All over the world, people are asking, where is the path to joy? The church of of Christ answers loudly, Jesus is our joy, joy to the world. Let's pray.
Lord, may that always be our answer to a world that searches for joy everywhere but in Christ. That even in the midst of difficulties and trials and turmoils that even your people experience, he is our joy. Will you help us, Lord, to experience that, to testify to that, to rejoice in that, to worship you even better because of that. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.